welcome to this week's bonus episode, which is character profile. Classic character profile classic. time. Classic. Classic. Character. Yes, yes. We're doing Maud Grimes this week. I love Maud Grimes, and she is a proper, proper classic, kind of mid Cory classic sort of character. Um, one of the, like the, one of the early battle axes before. Oh no, kind of everything kind of mid with Maud. She's kind of in it in the middle of Cory. She's one of the the midway battle axes. Do you know that mid is slang now? No, what for? Which means fine. Well, I think she's. I think she is more than. I, I think she's like, great. I, I was, to write home about. She, she, well, she is something to write home about, and I think that Maud Grimes is massively, massively underrated. Um, she, I remember when I was uh, when I first started watching it, and she was a kind of a standard member of the cast. Well, apparently, um, it's it's it's, it's not good mid. It's like below average. Oh well, she is definitely not that. Young then. people don't know the meaning of words. She was the like the token old lady of Coronation Street when I first started watching it in the mid nineties. But it feels like she's not really ever remembered. And, like, I think people at the time, when they think back to Maud Grimes, they go, oh, yeah, she was great, she was great. And then uh, as soon as you stop thinking about her, she immediately erases herself from your conscience because she's never really brought up in any... Consciousness. Consciousnesses, so, yes. Not your conscience. Consci- what have you been doing that you, she's I'm on your conscience? I'm not telling her she's going to... Um, yeah, do you know what I mean? She seems like one of those characters that's instantly forgettable. Yeah. But for no good reason. I, I mean, agree. I was asking you a little about her on a drive. We are, we are, we are on location ourselves, aren't we today? Yeah, we're on, we're on sitting on Maud Grimes' grave. No, we're at Gemma's mum and dad's house, cat sitting again. This is another cat sitting. We're just the resident family cat sitters. Um, so you might you might hear an appearance from him later. And I was driving over here, and I was like, can you can you tell me what, what can you remember about Maud Grimes? And you made up some crazy story. I and I don't know whether it was now. to cover your... Um... She's the one who didn't like Reg Holdsworth. Yes, that is, that's basically it. That's the starting point of her and character. She, she often did wear various hats and turbans and things. Exactly. But she wasn't the one with lilac hair who was Randy. That was no, that's one. Phyllis Pierce. I think, I think this is mm-hmm, the thing. Mm-hmm. I think because she was on Corrie at the same time as Phyllis Pierce... They maybe they get kind of mixed up in people's minds or people prefer Phyllis. I know that Phyllis is a very, very popular character for her general randiness. And I guess maybe Maud at the time was more of a um you know, beige kind of character. But I, I just I just think that's completely doesn't give her credit for all her excellence. And she had some really, really good scenes that I'm looking forward to talking about later. And um yeah, I yeah, I think I think it's because she, she's one of the, the Corrie battle axes in a way, but then when you think of Corrie battle axes, you think Phyllis, you think Ina Sharples, you think Blanche, you think Evelyn now. And then Maud would always be like towards the bottom of somebody's list or they'd go, oh yeah, there was her. I, I kind of, I, I think I quite liked her, but she's the sort of character that when you're watching them, you really enjoy them. And I remember when we watched the DVDs together, you, you hadn't known anything about Maud, had no. you? But you did enjoy watching her. Yes. But now, you know, she has. Am I am I making this up? Has she kind of has she faded very very quickly from your memory? Even though it was only a couple of years ago we watched her. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I okay. think. I think. Um, I think battle axe wise, the way that she stands apart from some of the others is that she she wasn't like really cantankerous and mean like um 
I suppose Phyllis Pierce wasn't either, to be honest. But if you got the likes of Blanche or Ina or, or Evelyn, they're always kind of looking their nose down, looking down their nose at people and thinking that they're better and saying, oh, back in my day, this, that and the other. But Maud didn't do that. Maud's defining personality trait, I would say, is that she didn't suffer fools lightly. And unfortunately for her, she was you know, the, the, some of the main characters that she was put in storylines with were fools. Mm. But to everyone else who was just kind of um, didn't get in her way, she was perfectly pleasant to. And I think that helped lots of people really warm to her at the time. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my little summary of Maud Grimes. And in a wheelchair, of course. Kind of got to mention that. We're nearly five minutes into the podcast now and worth saying. Not very many people in the history of Coronation Street have been uh, wheelchair, wheelchair users. No, but... Very briefly, we had uh, Jim McDonald. Well, yes, exactly. And, and that's uh, one of the things Izzy. we'll talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Um, no, well, I, I, it was only a couple of years ago that I realised myself that um, uh, Elizabeth Bradley, who plays Maud Grimes, wasn't actually a wheelchair user herself. I went, like, 20 years thinking, thinking that she actually, the actress needed that wheelchair. But it's all acting. She didn't need to sit down at all. She could have stood up all that time, honestly. It wasn't even a real hat. (laughs) Gemma, I've been waffling on for a long time, so I'm going to pass over to you to to tell me, to remind our dear listeners about... More grimes and, and, and her lovely character stats and profile things. You love things. to introduce everything so many times. You don't need to introduce my doing the information about her. I don't want to monopolise the podcast. I want to give you a chance to say something. I don't mind if you do. No, no, this is a conversation. You go, tell me, Gemma. This is a conversation street. Stats. Go. It's a two way conversation street. Go. go. All right, she was born on the 1st of April 1922. That's kind of an ironic date considering she didn't suffer fools gladly. You said um, lightly earlier. I know. I don't. I, that's that not the phrase, thing, isn't you it? You just coined that phrase. Sadly, lightly. She just didn't suffer them at all. Parents: Malcolm and Beatrice Nicholson. Michelson. Mm-hmm. Married: Wilfred Grimes. That's a good British name, isn't it? <laughs> she had two kids: Peggy Grimes in 1943 and Maureen Grimes in 1945. She first appeared. On the 2nd of April, 1993, day after her birthday. That's yeah. annoying, isn't it? You didn't get any presents there. <laughs> Last appeared on the 1st of November, 1999. Number of appearances, 462. She was played played by Elizabeth Bradley. I think she was like known as Liz Bradley because I was reading um, through some of the old 90s Coronation Street magazines and, it, and she featured in it a lot. There was a good, like, out of the collection that we've got, there's a, like four or five issues, it seems like, where there was, like two or three page spreads of just her talking about, I remember the war. And when I was a, when I was a girl, this is what life was like. And she, in one of them, she talks about remembering Coronation Street starting. And uh, I think she knew somebody who was on the production team or something telling her that, oh, it's, don't, we don't think it's going to last. Uh, we could be like that for the, for the para, um, paramedic, I nearly said. We're saying all the wrong the words. Pandemic. Yeah. Don't we? Yeah. I remember that. It was great. <laughs> you had to clap everybody. So. And you couldn't have any toilet roll. She does. She does have quite an interesting um, story. Liz Bradley that is. You you can tell me if well, you she like. She was sent away to boarding school as a kid, and then she during the start of World War Two she trained as a nurse, and her her father died in Winston Churchill's private plane when it crashed in 1945, which is. I know no more details other than that. Well, I know that 
Winston Churchill certainly didn't die. He was alive, yeah. I've seen the crowd. He kept on going. Um, When her father was alive, he had encouraged her love of acting, but he didn't think she should do it during the war because it's too flippant, he said. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that um, old uh, Pat Phoenix liked to hear that because that's what she did during the war. Quite a few of the stars on Corrie did that during the war to sort of entertain the troops. It's important. It's flippant, I tell I you. Thought it, I think it's good. I think that what that utilising your creativity during a time, if you've got, if you can, mm. you know. Maybe her dad was just like, you're not good enough to, you're not that good. You're, you're all funny. right, Liz. But you're, not, you're good at acting, but you're not funny. Uh, yeah, you need people that's... that can make me laugh and people can make me People who can do the can-can with little fluffy feathers on stage, please. She joined the Webber Douglas Academy soon after VE Day. So that would have been like... I mean, her dad died in 1945. Yeah. She had a successful successful career on stage and she worked for the National Theatre. And she went on tour. She went to um, the Middle East, Far East. She was nominated for the Laurence Olivier Award for her role in Billy Liar in 1993. This is all fascinating really to me. Recent. This is this is well, 30 years ago, but well, she yeah, joined just... Corey like late, uh, later that later year. That, yeah, yeah. She's like, I know, there's only uh, the only, only way one I can place go now can, uh, after my Laurence Olivier nomination, Coronation Street. Okay, so Laurence Olivier, um, Safe Award, um, BAFTA, Oscar, that's how it goes. <laughs> I find it really fascinating when there's Coronation Street characters who come into the show as like older men or women and who've lived this huge and fasc- often fascinating life in yeah. the run up to Coronation Street but they're only ever known know. as being yeah, but that's only... an old person. No. <sighs> oh my gosh, that, where did that come no, from? Only known, <laughs> only known by people who what, who who like Coronation Street as that. But if you ask somebody who was like into the theatre, they'd be like, oh yeah, and she was also in Coronation Street, but she but she won the Lawrence Lit, you know? Yeah. I wonder whether Coronation Street is her most known role. I'm kind of assuming it is, because looking at some of the TV stuff that she did in the 60s and 70s and 80s, a lot of them were kind of like one-episode stints. There was the usual stuff like Zed Cars and The Bill and Dicks and the Dot Green, <laughs> The Sweeney, Standard, um, and, and a load of other stuff that I hadn't heard of. But yeah, most of them were just one-and-done one episodes. She was also in Coronation Street a couple of times before Maud Grimes. And I don't think I even noticed, I didn't realise this, sorry, till a couple of years... Uh, I get all my words wrong today. A couple of days ago, so in 1971, she played a character called Mrs. Thornley, and I sent you a clip of this the other day. Mm-hmm. So this was at some um, RNLI charity ball that Annie Walker was attending, and um, and Annie was sitting there speaking to Mrs. Thornley, Liz Bradbury, um, and Nellie Harvey was kind of watching on jealously as um, Annie was the one who was kind of hobnobbing with um, with the with the upper elite there. And then in 1978, in April 1978, she played a character called Councillor Adams. And this was a story where um, Len Fairclough was in trouble for being charged with being drunk and disorderly. And he was That's a councillor. Yeah, it was, it was. And all, all yeah. of the other councillors were sat around this table trying to decide whether Len should stand down or not. And, um, and um, Liz, Liz's character, uh, Councillor Adams, was very vocally in support of giving him the old heave-ho. And uh, it, I, just, I found it quite interesting. I'd never seen those clips before. And uh, it was very, very much kind of Maud Grimes in the face. And she was even sitting down in both the appearances as well. So I've, I've still never seen we this never actress know. stand we'll up. Never know. <laughs> um, right, so let's have a rundown of the back history of Maud Grimes. And some of this was... Um, 
maybe retconned in a little bit later, but in an interesting way. So her story starts way back in 1944, when she was having an affair with Leonard Kennedy, Danny Kennedy, he was called as a nickname. Um, How did you get Danny from Leonard? I don't know, you just did. Do you? I'm guessing it's a Danny boy thing. That's what they people would call it. Nard dog. what? Um, and Hard yeah, he, he was killed in the D-Day landings, mm. uh, but not before conceiving a child. Not on the Young beach. Maud. Hmm? Not on the beach. He did not conceive a child on the beach. Maud wasn't there. I know, you, you, you make it sound like it was just briefly before. He didn't realise he conceived a child and then he died, like not m- minutes after. No, he conceived a child, went to France, kicked the bucket... And then Maureen was born Typical in 1945. Man. Yeah, shirking his responsibilities. Um, now, Maud's husband, Wilf, Wilfred, knew about this affair. Big but... Willie, she called him. Are you just going to interrupt me with cutting remarks and witty comments I through the whole of this? that was the point this? of the podcast. <laughs> I can just be quiet then. I've got a nice no, cup of coffee. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass over to you to tell me a little bit more about it in a minute. Or tell, tell our lovely listeners. On, so, Wilf raised tell Maureen of, as his own even though we knew that she wasn't. Ah, oh, shocking. So, um, we also know that in the late 60s, by this time, uh, Maureen was, um, you know, 20, early 20s, and she started dating Reg Holdsworth. No. Yes. No. Foolish Reg. And Maud did not, could, could not cope with this idiot going out with her, with her daughter. Okay, I, and she was I, very instrumental in them splitting up. It was quite funny because when you watch the show, um, you sort of, you sympathise a bit with Maureen, don't you? You're sort of, yes. you're, you're kind of seeing it through her eyes where she's stuck between her mum and her boyfriend, you know. But if you if you sort of take a further step back from it, like, um, she was completely right, Maud, to, to say, this guy's an idiot. I mean, I can only imagine that in the late 60s, Reg was just a buffoon as he was in the 90s. I mean, the thing is, right, I'm going to say, back in the day, it, it it's gotten better as the years have gone by. But back in the day, if you're a woman, you're relying on your husband to be the main breadwinner and sort of head of the household. Mm. You wouldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't do a lot of things that we take for granted and as women now. There are, lo- you know, lots of restrictions on women, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Uh, only the man could do certain things. And if you're a woman and you've got... she, You know, this is her only daughter, isn't it? If you're a mum... No, no, no. She had had two daughters. Well, all right. The other one was played by... um... The neighbour from Keeping Up Appearances. Oh, yeah, she made true. a couple of she made a couple of appearances herself. But anyway, regardless of how many kids you've got, um, the, the you'd always be worrying and thinking to yourself, my daughter is is relying on this buffoon to navigate her, her through life. He can't even bloody tie his shoelaces up reliably. How, how I, are we supposed to? I, I wouldn't agree that Reg was that kind of buffoon, and I'm I'm a staunch Reg Hol- oh, yeah. Holdsworth supporter. Right, I find okay. him absolutely hilarious, and he did become eventually manager of Better Buys, didn't he? And yeah, and, and then went on. No regard for anyone's feelings. No, no, he doesn't. What what the what his um failing was, I That's guess, thing. was in social situations and knowing how to treat people i mean he was he was just one of these people that gets under your skin wasn't he he was massively pervy um just kind of uh, he's just slimy wasn't he 
I, he wasn't like a Cory buffoon in the same way as, say, Kirk is now, or even Brian, where they're just made to look a bit stupid. He was just mega irritating. I think he was actually, you know, relatively intelligent himself. He he just had a, a an incredibly high opinion of himself. And um, yeah, he he <laughs> he didn't treat other people very well, especially women. He was just he was just a massive lech, wasn't he? Yes, he definitely. And the, was. and the kind of character, I don't know. Would you be able to get away with a Reg Holds, a Holdsworth character now? I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. I don't know whether it'd be funny to laugh at him. And I know that there are a lot of people who, even back in the nineties, didn't find him funny to laugh at. But I'm just. I'm. I've got. No, I, I've got no qualms in saying, even watching him recently on the on the DVD rewatch and the ITV three and everything, I just couldn't help finding him uh, hilarious. But I think if I knew him in real life and he was potentially going to be joining my family, I might be, you know, have a similar reaction to how Maud did. And in back in the sixties, she was she was that instrumental in making sure that they were to not stay together. Her and um her and Reg. Mm -hmm. So um, Maureen um, first appeared in Coronation Street a couple of, I don't know, the weeks maybe before more weeks, months, I can't remember, in 1993. So she, when she was younger, was called Maureen Naylor and she got a job at Better Buys and it was really, really sweet actually seeing these, these couple, this couple who were you know, in their what, 40s, I guess, 40s, 50s, um, coming back together again after 25 years apart. And they were just like giddy little school children, weren't they? Reg was already, again, not um, not immature, I would say, in every sense of the word, but he, he was... Um, I think... Yeah, the two of them would just kind of giggle together and he'd go dragging her off to bed. I know, but I think you're. I think you're mistaking um, his his ability and the way that the corporate structure of Better Buys and Furmans or whatever, yeah, um, enabled and what's the word um, valued his negative qualities. It doesn't mean that he's a successful person. Just meant he found a good little slot. To get himself into, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Toadying and sliming and greasing yeah, but poles. Yeah, greasing poles exactly. He could certainly turn on the charms. Doesn't mean there. that he's a successful businessman. No. Just means that he knows how to he bumper lick. <laughs> well, he he was thrilled to have Maureen back in his life, as was she. And they said, right, we are not going to let anyone come between us now. We've lost all these years. We are, you know, together. For keeps. But why but, are we talking about them? But it's Maud's character profile. Maureen was Maud's daughter. And so Maureen's like, no. we got to go and see my mum. So she was living in a house with her mum who was wheelchair bound by this point, like I said earlier. Um, and they had to go and see whether she'd be okay with them going out again. And Maud's no. first appearance was just brilliant. 
uh, there's a there's a scene where Maureen and Reg are kind of walking up to the house and you can just see peering out of the window this kind of this really kind of cranky looking old woman there who's like Aina Sharples type I do not want to mess with her and then they go inside and um, Reg decides to introduce himself to her as Norman Watts because he wants to see that you know she he doesn't want he doesn't want her to remember him from before he wants to see if that she'll like him on his own merits make a good impression so she he he gives Curly's name and um, she falls for it for a little bit because she can't find her glasses. Now, I don't know where this, what happens this. with this because she doesn't wear glasses for the majority of her time in the show. Maybe she didn't want to be tricked again so she got contact lenses or maybe, maybe she got laser eye Oops. surgery. She's like, this is serious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But they go around the house and she's like, Maureen, Maureen, where's my glasses? And then um, Reg is there kind of making all these stupid remarks and trying to be over polite and everything and she's like I, I swear I've heard you I, I've met you before and he's like no 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 way no and then eventually she finds her glasses puts them on and she's like it's him it's him that oh what's... idiot and then, and then she's like what's he changed his name for are the police after him <laughs> <laughs> and she like and, and she, then what else did she say she she uh, well they go and like, they have lunch together and then she's like I'm, I'm not I'm not staying in the same room with him a pillock's always a pillock yeah and then she uh she goes to wheel herself off out the room Reg you know the gentleman stands mm-hmm. up to, to see her out and gets his foot run over by a wheelchair and um, as first impressions go that was that must have been enough to say to, to make everybody think yeah this is this is going to be a great character here and then over the coming months she just was in it more and more and more Maureen told Reg look I'm, my mum's so important to me I can't have I can't see Maud getting at you. I, I, we, we're going to need to finish. This isn't going to work. But Reg is like, no, I'm fighting for you. I'm going to make sure that Maud um, likes me, brings her the giant Easter egg because this is around Easter time. And she's like, no, don't be stupid. I'm not a child. She, she wasn't having any of it. Um, so they Maud, Maud and, no, Maureen and Reg decide very quickly that they're just going to get engaged in the hope that maybe Maud will come round to the idea of them being an item if he gets a ring on Maureen's finger. So they say, look, Maud, we're going to look after you after the wedding. It's going to be okay. I'm not not stealing Maureen away from you. Um, But... But if you do try to steal, if you do try to split us up any further, then that's it, that's it. Maureen, me, we're out of your life for good. So they tried to sell the house and in classic... Curry fashion, Maud does her best to put off potential buyers coming they around. They try to sell the house, even though it's her house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Utter, utter bastard. I know what. what because they, yeah. Um, <laughs> what can I say? She says, "Oh, there's mice. There's rising damp." Somebody soon puts in an offer, though. And although Maureen tells Maud that she can move in with them both, Reg is actually on the sly looking into old people's homes. Can't believe it. I know. Which, by the way. Martin Platt was working out at the time. He, he was well, a, the actual Martin the Platt. The Mart- actual Martin Platt. He wasn't just a nurse at the hospital. I think this might have been a time when he was suspended for the, from the hospital. He'd probably been having one of his affairs or something. I can't remember. But anyway, he was working at an old people's home. And um, and he and t- so he says to Reg, look, he, he tells Maud, I've, I've heard that Reg is, is looking around trying to find a place for your mum. That's for, for you, sorry. And um, Maureen tells Reg, I would never put my mother in a home. And he says, well, sorry, there's no way that Maud is getting in the way of our love again. 
So they end up putting in an offer on Ted Sullivan's house. Mm. Rita's husband just died himself. And then Reg um, and finally admits defeat and realises, right, fine, we're stuck with Maud. We'll all, we'll all just live in the same house together. Now, then Maureen calls off the engagement. Maud is pleased as punch with this because she... Um, the, and the reason why Maureen called off the engagement is because um, she'd suspected Reg of having an affair with the widow of Brendan Scott. And what do you remember about Brendan Scott? Died. Died in the shop. Like straw hats. Yeah. Like Death Stars. He was in Star Wars, that's true. And he had a very kind of buxom and young wife. Do you remember? She was like really kind of ah. Dolly Bird-ish. And that, the thing with Brendan Scott was he was so really old school, wasn't he? He was... Um, Fairly nasty. He did look down his nose at people. Very, very traditionalist. Well, when he took over the corner shop himself, he didn't he get and like Deirdre e- wear a stupid outfit. Yeah, Emily and Deirdre were wearing these like maids and outfits with a little wooden bent wooden shelves and yeah. baked beans were like two pound a can. Imagine that. Yeah. So when he cops it, his wife comes in and everyone's like really surprised at how like young and beautiful and vivacious she is. And uh, I wonder why they certainly, certainly gets Reg's heart um, pumping. pumping. Yeah, so he he just does his usual slimy schmooziness around her. Maureen thinks that he's cheating on her behind her back, so this is why she calls yeah, off the engagement. Off. Um, but it's fine. He's not really. Oh. He's not really having an affair. Um, and then the only other, the main thing with Maud for the rest of that year, there's a scene um, around October, November time when the Rovers is putting on like a, a psychic night and the tarot card reader backs out. So Maud mm-hmm. says, I, I can do it. I can read to you. I'm an I wear strange hats. I wear hats. And cardigans. And, and I can be a bit mystic with my voice. So she set herself up as a gypsy in the back room of the Rovers Hang and on. read people's palms. As a gypsy? Well, yeah, she said Gypsy Maud. Mm-hmm. It was her, okay. was, her, was her character name in this right. or something okay. like that anyway. Um, and that's a brilliant scene. If you, you need to try and hunt this down if you haven't seen it because... Um, She's there with her kind of back to the kitchen and then the, the guests would come in and there was like, there's Curly was one of them, I can't remember who else. And um, Maureen was sitting with her back to the door in the corridor, desperately and very comedically kind of doing little charades and miming to Maud, the kind of things that she should say, like made miming about and made like rocking a cradle with a baby action. And it was very funny, honestly. You just have to believe me. I'm imagining it now. <laughs> yes. Well, some of Maud's predictions end up coming true. Well, particularly one where she tells Curly that um, the person that he is going to marry is at his work. He obviously turns out to be Raquel, but he thinks it's um, Elaine, who was like a, a higher up at Better Boys or Furman's, whatever it was back then. Um, and he thinks that she's pursuing him. So Maud's like, oh, well, I must have been right on this. So um, she ends up doing bit of a longer stint doing palm readings in the pub and that takes us to the end of 1993 of more Gemma it is all over to you make this sound interesting 1994 go wow when it's the day of Reg and Maureen's wedding Maud's like tone it down a bit love I'm gonna I'm gonna be civil to you you're gonna be part of my family so bygones be bygones she gives Maureen a special brooch to wear and at the reception Reg starts bickering with Maureen's brother-in-law um, who's, who says, saying, look, you take the old bag. <laughs> we <laughs> don't want to look after her anymore. And Maud overhears this and is absolutely devastated. Do you remember I remember this. Episode. It was horrible. I felt it's... so sad, sad for her. And the most annoying thing about this was this woman 
she was fine before Reg came along and he's ruined it all her life, tried to make her sell her house and then turns around after promising mm. to, to stand, you know, stand by her and look after her and, and bad mouths her mm. and like can't wait to, to get rid of her and makes her feel like a burden. So she gets upset and leaves. Yeah, I think with these generally cantankerous, I mean, she was a, a classic mother-in-law character, wasn't she? Who you were supposed to kind of love to hate a little bit Again, like I, I say earlier, she was genuinely nice to most people apart from Reg. I think in the early days here, I don't know how much she had interacted with many of the other members of Coronation Street. So she was supposed to be a kind of thorn in the side type character. And when you get characters like that who things, you know, go wrong for or mm -hmm. people are mean to and, you know, with certain... If, you, if you've got a good actress there and then they can really bring on the tears, then as a viewer, you suddenly, your heart can break for them. It's, it was similar to Ivy, wasn't it? Like, Ivy played a similarly Harridan-like mother-in-law, but when Brian died, it was devastating. And Lynn Perry was absolutely superb in yes. conveying that that loss of, of her dear Brian. And, and it was the same here. So um, you see you see the guys I think they're arguing in the toilet or something and Maud is the other side of event and just upset and betrayal and devastation and just feeling what a burden I am which and I suppose as a wheelchair user that's not you know lots of people in her position may well feel that from time to time she's got a fight and this she was such a strong character because she didn't want to let her disability get in the way of doing whatever she wanted to do but is it times like this when she's thought well I'm fit for the scrap heap then yeah and, it, and it's this old, old age kind of um age old sorry like uh trope of a very brittle you know damaged and um kind of scared person mm. projecting this cantankerous personality to sort of protect themselves in yeah. advance of of being hurt and it's it, she's you know through through the circumstance of um having to use a wheelchair she is being forced to rely on people to a certain extent and then reg also adds this extra layer on the top of um you know making it so she has to live with them and then getting arsy about it i feel really bad for her it was it was really, really it was tragic. horrible so she did she disappears and ends up delaying the honeymoon. Eventually, she turns back up again and she feels bad about that as well. <laughs> and Reg is like, persuades Martin to keep an eye on Maud while they go away. But um, she doesn't want to... Then she gets upset. So this, this woman, this uh, son-in-law, yeah. brother-in-law, sorry, this was her... Her, her, her daughter's her, her husband. Daughter's husband so more she doesn't ever of. speak to them again. I don't think so. That, that's she, at least she, at, the, at the time she vows that. But you know what Coronation Street characters are like, and they will never speak to you again. It's yeah, and I'm leaving. Not worth the uh, paper right. they're written on. If Martin uh, takes Maud to the Rovers while everyone's on the honeymoon. Yeah, M Martin and Maud end up developing quite a nice little pairing. They're not. I don't remember them being like together loads, but Martin would kind of become a bit of a carer to Maud. And whereas Maureen was very comedically inept in all ways, wasn't she? And very, very, very highly strung. And Reg was just Reg. Ma Martin was just like a, a decent, 
calming kind of and, and still fairly young at this point i don't he uh, this was, was the early 90s i think he hadn't gone downhill the way he did towards the end and he was just kind of the nice sort of caregiver that that Maud needed really well i, I guess she probably felt a bit more at ease with him because she knew he was a nurse mm. and so she doesn't feel like she's imposing on him and you know he's got this kind of air of professionalism and um it probably feels easier for her to get along with him. And he, he's used to talking to different people, different ages. Yeah. And sort of been able to get along with everyone, even though I think he was an absolute dick. <laughs> um, so, not a Martin fan, are you? Not a you? Martin fan, no. So he, he takes Maud into the Rovers and Percy tries to engage her in conversation. And I don't know why. they Do they not know each other? I don't. I, 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 this may well have been their first Is encounter. Is this the first time Maud's really been on the street? No, when she was doing her palm reading in the Rovers the, the, um, she didn't live the there, year before. So, but now but she's you, staying with Martin, is she? No, no, she's still living in her old in her house, but Martin goes and visits. But I think oh. he tries to um, integrate, her. integrate her into the community a little bit more. And this is where Percy comes along. So they've not met Another, each other before. I, I'm going to say no. But so, please, so, anybody, feel free to correct me because I have got not a clue whether that's true or not. Yeah, so but it was the start of something beautiful. So, so Percy's like, hey, you're old, I'm old. Do you remember the war? And she's like, no, leave me alone. <laughs> um, you remind me of a boring ex-legionnaire I once knew, always going on about cooking for Monty in the desert. And he's Which, like, oh, that's my thing. That's my thing. <laughs> that's my bit. Um, he's like, do you know what? you old fag if if i had youtube and i was talking about this i'd get millions of views <laughs> this was a this was a, another example of a character who was a fool that Maud didn't suffer in any way <laughs> what percy yeah a fool. well he, he he was in that he was very full of himself wasn't he 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 was he wasn't necessarily a nice guy himself and he he thought that you know for for cooking and cooking his gravy under shell fire, he was, you know, single-handedly won the Second World War for, for the Allies. But Maud could kind of see that he was just a kind of trumped-up cook, basically. That's so rude. And she, and she wasn't afraid to tell An him so An army marches either. on his stomach. <laughs> so I say. They do, they do become friends, but yeah, they, they got off on the wrong foot. So when the honeymooners return, Maud admits to Martin that she's terrified of being put into a home by his horrible reg. Maud gets a <laughs> ramp installed in the shop so she can help out there because Reg has just bought it. But Reg is not really happy that she's going to be there helping out, in inverted commas. Um, Reg wants Maud living in a converted garage next to their new house, but she does not like this at all. And then they're, they're coming around again to look at her current house to try to sell it. Yeah, buyers. Mm. And, and Maud's like, oh, someone's gazumped you. Get out. I'm going to set the dog on you. You don't she, she leave. Didn't, she didn't have a she dog. She didn't have a dog either. <laughs> um, so they go and complain to Reg and Maureen, who are really surprised to hear that actually she wasn't fibbing about them being gazumped. She sold the house to Weatherfield Financial Services under the understanding that she can live there till, till she dies. And this is, what is this called? My, my grandparents did this. I don't know. They were like suddenly rich for about, Five years because they'd sold their house on to one of these companies. Yeah. Well, it, it mean, equity release. Yeah, something like that, isn't it? Well, but, that's a good idea. Well, you know what? Obviously, you, you, then your kids don't get it. But I say live, live your life. Well, Maureen was especially miffed because of this because even though 
Maud was in her rights to do this because the deeds to the house were in her name. Maureen's been the one that's been paying the, yeah, that's the mortgage a bit crap. for every she's year. She's been paying this mortgage. So now, and now she's just going to lost it. I would not be happy about that, to be honest. But this is why you don't mix family and money. No. And any money you give to family, you might as well just forget if you ever had it. <laughs> Reg encourages Maureen to stand, to stand up against this. But she, she and Maud's like, no, not changing my mind. This is my great idea. And uh, she... Reg and Maureen then just move into the flat, don't they? Yeah, uh, so they live on Coronation Street, Maureen yeah, and Reg. Next to Rita. And, and Maud's left there in her palace going, ha, ha, ha. No, she's not. She's sad. When she speaks to Percy about this, she breaks down in tears and says she's lost her daughter. And then um, later on, she gets a break in at home. And so um, Maud wants, Maureen wants to go move back in with her mum, Maud, but Reg refuses to let her go. So she goes packing her bags anyway. Can you believe this woman? <laughs> her husband said no, and she did it anyway. I know. So <laughs> Maureen backs her things, says screw you to Reg, and goes and moves back in with poor Maud. <laughs> but it's all right, because Maud has also got now um, Percy as a friend, hasn't she? And um, th this is another really lovely little... <laughs> kind of romance that develops between them over the next year or so well, but it started off accidentally well percy tells um percy says to maud oh you'll make a fine wife for someone one day and she's like you know back in the day couldn't even say the word pregnant without uh getting in trouble for being too saucy i think i'm being proposed <laughs> to here Reg is excited to think that he might better marry her off and get rid of her and he's like yeah yeah get married to percy and then Percy. Percy at this point, Percy, while all this conversation no is going, he's not, a, not got a clue that he's being spoken about as if he's Maud's uh, fiance. So he's he then hears from Emily, Percy does, the next day, that Maud thinks they're engaged. So he's like, what? I don't remember that happening. And he thinks about it. The more he thinks about it, the more he thinks it's a good idea. So he asks her properly and she says, yes. Hooray. So Maud then reveals that she's changed her mind about selling her house to the finance company. And and Reg is like, oh, he's, he's like Tim. He's like, she, you're only after her for her money, Percy. You only want Maud because she's loaded because of this house. So Percy and Maud go off to Morecambe for the day and Reg starts rooting around in her stuff looking for a will. And then she he is shocked because this he finds a radio that she says was stolen when she was broken into. So I can't remember. I, th I think that she maybe wasn't actually broken into at all. And she was just trying to get a bit of attention. These old ladies, such liars, aren't they? So conniving. I say you should lie about everything when you get to that age. I, I can't wait till I'm old and everyone I know is dead. And I'll just make up all these great stories about all the things I did during the war. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a podcast once. I was on we a podcast. We had over 500 episodes. During World War Two. <laughs> I defeated Hitler with my wit. <laughs> um, right, so Percy says, I want to go to France for the 50th anniversary of D-Day. And so Maud goes along with him and offers him comfort because this was a really poignant episode This was too, such a good episode. they're walking around the graveyards and he's just looking at all the, you know, all his friends who died. There's There's quite a few scenes in this that I'd say if you haven't, if you don't know who Maud is or you, you 
you've seen her and then since forgotten about her go and find some of these great episodes because the the episodes there's like two or three of them where they go over to normandy and they were so brilliantly done mm-hmm. there's even some of the funny stuff like they're in breakfast in this french cafe one morning and um percy's there saying oh i hate the french i don't trust the french and he was just he was just mega xenophobic wasn't he it's weird but... that by the end of his story he actually put th- think preferred the german man to any French person. Oh, what, uh, mm. which the, the Klaus, met, Klaus yeah. Muller, yeah. yeah. He, um, but it, so that was all great. But then they they go and they go to the the war graves in Normandy, and it was they pitched it absolutely perfectly and there's like scenes of of Percy looking up to the sky and having a bit of a tear and, and you know probably. Um, the, Almost definitely. He, he there were no acting required there because he probably knew some people in the war who was just um, everybody would have really of his age, mm. and I think I don't think that people now who are younger really realise how obsessed in the nineties everybody was with World War Two. We still are pretty obsessed with World War Two. But during the 90s, because it was the 50th anniversary or coming up to the 50th or past, you know. I remember it um, at school, yeah. People, you know, I remember our teachers were always saying to us, talk to your grandparents about it. They won't be here forever. You've got to talk to them about it. Or like, here's so, you know, it. we really were completely obsessed with World War II mm. to, to, a, to a really weird extent. Yeah. And I don't know, it's not weird, but I don't think that we can really, you, you can really understand how much it was part of the culture of of everything mm. to talk about World War Two yeah. after after fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, so that that, that because epi- I'm only bringing that up because you know even just looking at the Coronation Street magazines that we've got, um, the the fan magazines, that was full of World World War Two stuff about what did you do during the war and everything like mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. So th- there was some very poignant stuff as well, but there was also a bit of a family drama and revelation there for was. World, wasn't there? That's right. Why have you stopped talking? <laughs> because I thought it was sorry. You, I thought you were going to take. I've taken over from you a little bit, but this is. I thought this was your section. No, this is your section. Is it? Yeah. Well, okay. So Maud, Maud takes Maureen into the American cemetery, and says, "Ego is your dad. It's your real dad. I'm keeping this a secret." She shows him a photo. Fo- she shows Maureen a photograph she's been keeping for fifty years. Um. And, you know, this is a revelation for Maureen that, you know, her father was an American GI. Yeah, and the guy that raised her was, you know, not not, not her real dad. Yes, that's right. Yes, that is right. All right. And then Percy's like, what the bloody hell is this? I can't be dealing with this, you slag. He calls off the engagement because she betrayed Wilfred. Yeah, I think it was, again, the, the fact that she... Um, got together with an American and he didn't like that. He was like as British as they come was Percy, wasn't he? Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm confused here because I I thought that we read that she... No, Maureen was raised by um, by, no, Ma- by Maud's husband, Wilf. But did, Wil- did Wilfred Wilfred knew? Yeah. He... Wilfred knew that she was he was raising a child that he didn't father yeah so what the hell is percy mad about just the fact that she 
that she had an affair with this guy. She she betrayed him. She for, didn't betray him. But she did. She slept with this guy when she was married to Wilfred. Yeah, and, but Wilfred and he knew. was American. Wilfred knew. Don't mean it. Yeah, but Percy's... Why is Percy getting annoyed for, for a man 50 years ago? Percy who's was also, a man of many, got, many principles. Who's gotten over it? 50 years ago, this man would gotten over it. And Percy just <laughs> finds out now. And he's like, well, I'm going to hold a grudge. Yeah, on us. And then on, he's on like, well, well, we'll be friends with each other, but I can't marry you. It's like, all right, then die alone, you miserable old sod. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> he died alone, but he was morally right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's what he would have wanted. Yeah, it would. So it gets, she's got a fairly quiet rest of the year in 1994. She mostly serves behind the counter and makes little comments and gets under Maureen's feet. And then towards the end of the year, um, Reg says he's going to sell the shop. And Maud, like, boy- boycotts it because she gets annoyed. But eventually... well, yeah, the way that Reg announces it, he's quite blunt. And this this has been a nice little lifeline to, for, for Maud. Up until this point, up until she came into the programme, we, kind of under- we could kind of see that she was just staying in this house alone for half of the day while Maureen was away at work or whatever. And, th- and this has been her opportunity to, to make some friends and get to know people. And she was like, oh, you, you've taken th- that all away from me. So, yeah, she gets annoyed, uh, but she eventually backs down and agrees to come and work at lunch times. And then she hires Sally to do an evening shift, hoping that Reg is going to um, see how well everyone's doing working there and change his mind about selling. Exactly. 1995, then, was um, a much quieter year for Maud. And um, she, she was working, like I said, behind the counter at the shop for a little while. And although she had a you know, decent number of episodes, a lot of it was just, I'm serving behind the counter and I'm, I'm kind of doing that and bickering with Maureen and Reg and what have you. Um, Maud, as, as a whole, was very much... I was able to get through her Corypedia pages quite quickly to, to, to find information about her. I, I pretty much opened the Corypedia page of every single episode that she was in to, to get the notes for this today. Majority of which, she just appeared in the cast list and then not at all for the blurb of the episode. So she was very much, you know, a background character like Shona was last year, somehow managing to be the most um, yeah. featured character of the year with, without really doing anything. And, and 1995 was absolutely a year like that for Maud. So she, yeah, made... Out of the, you know, 80-odd episodes that she appeared in that year, she would probably only feared, appeared in the synopsis of about... 15 to 20 of them. Oh, really? So there were just things like, you know, 1995 was the year that Reg got his wig. So Moore's made fun of that. Um, she goes down with gastroenteritis. Thrilling storyline there. Um, Reg employs Trisha Armstrong to work at the shop for a bit. And, and she and Maud butt heads for a little bit until um, Maud... Uh, Trisha gains Maud's respect by calling her a miserable old hag and Maud is quite pleased to be stood up to I suppose and um, she also I think there's like um, talk about whether she's secretly fancying Reg and Trisha was like no way I'm not that desperate to go out to fancy a guy like him and Maud quite appreciated that actually Um, there was a bit where Percy has to move out of Emily's for a little bit while she gets the builders in and Maud wants him to come and live with them and, and Reg and Maureen are horrified at the idea of Percy coming to live with them but per- the kind of the, the punchline is that Percy said no way am I living in the same house as Reg Holdsworth and it all kind of just ends at the end of the year with Reg leaving um, at, 90, at the end of 95 Ken Morley just kind of 
I, I don't know. I don't know the backstory. I'm sure there's some kind of backstory here, but it didn't feel like he had a decent exit. That his final story was about him being mistaken for the Weatherfield Flasher, and he has a hilarious um, identity parade scene. Um, and not long after that, he just gets the, a, a promotion um, in in the supermarket and has, he has to go and work in Lowestoft and then we never see of him again and so Maud has to deal with Maureen that's kind of losing her husband because for, for a time up until kind of mid the next year I think Maureen's going back and forth between Weatherfield and Lowestoft to see him and, and Maud has to hold the fort but that that's basically all she does that year not very much but things get um, back up to speed again for her in 1996 which is which is your turn Oh, okay. Yeah, you you go for it. Uh, no, you'd say it to me probably. You go, girl. Thank you. In <laughs> nineteen ninety six, Maud takes pity on Jamie Armstrong and gives him a chocolate bar, but then his mum, Trisha, thinks he's nicked it. Yeah. Exciting stuff. I don't know what happens there. I assume <laughs> she, not much. I assume she sort of throws him down a well or something. Probably. Maud reads Phyllis's tea leaves and declares that the man of her dreams is hers for the taking, but then she realises, my goodness me, it wasn't her tea leaves, it was mine. I love that they decided to give Maud this little psychic palm readery tea leaf kind of Oh, it's absolutely true. Persona. You can definitely tell. It's a bit it. like, you know, back in the day it was always Hilda that could read the tea leaves, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, and now you've got this old, old woman who's like, yeah, of course she can. It's, it's an can. innate skill in all over 70s, isn't it? Yeah. So the two ladies propose to Percy, but he thinks they're making fun of him and playing a joke. So he turns both of them down. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a fun little um, old age old age pensioner love triangle that goes on there for a little bit. <laughs> Maud and Maureen bicker over the fact that Maureen's always going to Lowestoft to see Reg and then the shop gets broken into. I don't know how that results from it, but maybe they were arguing and they didn't lock up. Probably. Gets ransacked. Though. And they steal all Tragic the stuff. All the bags for the for the pick and mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maud helps Vera contact the spirit of Ivy Brennan that year. <laughs> yeah, we love a bit of that. Say don't no we? more. Yeah. Uh, Maud supports Maureen when she finds out that Reg has left her for a wages clerk, and before long, it's encouraging her to get out and meet a new man. And then Reg tries to sell the flat. Um, and Maud encourages Maureen to say, no, you can't because I live here. It's our marital home. Then Reg's new lady, Yvonne, comes to Coronation Street to try to get Maureen to see reason and, and let them sell it. And Maud calls her a trollop. <sighs> Shocking stuff. Maureen eventually relents Language. when she guesses that Ma- Yvonne is, is pregnant. And she lets Reg have the flat, but she won't let him have the shop. Maud plays Cupid for Maureen when she decides that Bill Webster would make her perfect man because he puts a ramp in the front door for her. He was. He was a nice guy. He's a nice, nice guy builder and he does a bit of work for the shop and Maud's like, tell you what, this is the sort of chap that I want dating my daughter. She was just really keen that as soon Mario as Reg off. was out of the picture that Maureen starts, you know, gets gets back in the dating Get pool before saddle, Reg baby. can come back and take and re, re, you know back yeah. to the to the family himself and and I think that after Reg although Bill wasn't perfect he was certainly he he'd be the sort of person you'd be happy to take home and meet your mum wouldn't isn't he yeah although come you know, home and make a ramp if in this case it was the mum that was <laughs> saying Doing meet my daughter yeah. yeah so the two have a rocky start to their relationship but they they do end up dating. 
and uh, they end up in the bedroom. But Maud, you know, she ruins it by coming home early from the bingo. Yeah, that's really tragic as well. There was a scene where, um, like, they're, they're having dinner together, and I think Bill's got, like, a suit and tie and stuff, and he's trying to make a good impression, and then Maureen takes them up to, up to the bedroom, and then when they go to close the curtains, they see Maud getting out of a car, or being wheeled out of a car on the street, and Maureen's like, oh, no, no, we can't do it. Um, and I think, I think Maud saw her in the bedroom, sees her in the bedroom and says, look, take me back to the Rovers, Martin. Um, but the, the mood is gone. So, uh, yeah, unintentional scuppering there. Um, Maud continues to try to encourage him to, to sort of keep this relationship going. And then she's thrilled because it turns out they're going away together at Christmas. But then Bill calls it off because Elaine returns to the country with Carl. Ex-wife. With his um, kid, the yeah. kid that no one knows. Yeah, he was a little bit flaky, was Bill, but at least he wasn't a buffoon like Reg. Um, 1997 then. So at this point, Maud's starting to realise that things are cooled down a little bit between Bill and Maureen. I mean, she doesn't realise that when um, Bill was off with, with Elaine over Christmas, Maureen somehow managed to wind up in bed with Curly Watts. So no wonder Maureen is um, treading a little bit carefully here. And when this fling comes out, Bill's like, right, I'm not having anything to do with you anymore, Maureen. And Maud says, well, you need to you need to sort out Curly. So he does. He goes and declares that he and Maureen are back together and punches Curly in the face. Uh, Maureen doesn't want anything to do with Bill after that, though, because he's such a violent oaf. Um, and in the Rovers, Maud publicly accuses Curly of seducing innocent women. What a palaver. <laughs> I suppose that because Curly was Reg's number two, wasn't he, at the shop? And I imagine that in many ways, Maureen thought that Curly was probably cut from the same cloth and didn't didn't trust him as far as not she could throw him. Wrong, um, not completely wrong, is she? Not completely, though. So and then we have Maureen's new new man come along, Fred Elliot. And if you think that Reg is the kind of guy that you don't want your daughter marrying or, or dating or whatever, meet Guess Fred. What? <laughs> and like it was, it was just absolutely perfect that that another again not not an idiot. I would say he was very um, he was very intelligent, wasn't he? And he was a good businessman. He had you know lots of success. He was rich and everything, but just a, just a bit of an oaf in Maud's eyes, wasn't he? Mm. And another very kind of pompous, full of himself kind of guy which is the sort of thing that really rubbed Maud up the wrong way. But so I think she needs to just accept that this is what her daughter's got a thing for. <laughs> for oafs. The thing, I, I get, the thing with Maud, though, is, well, with Maureen and Maud, Maureen was very kind of... Um, she couldn't look after herself, could she? She, no, she was kind of... She's a scatterbrained idiot. She, she was mega scatterbrained. And um, I think Maud kind of felt, oh, I've brought this to this child, this grown-up child now into the world. And she doesn't feel like she was ever able to properly cut the apron strings because Maureen probably couldn't cope on her own. I mean, the sad thing is, I, I, I guess that Maureen has spent, as she probably might have said, wasted at some point, the whole mm. of her life looking after her mum. And oh. she's she's not needed to learn to be an independent That's woman. It's hard. It's really um, tough. But yeah, so so Fred comes along and uh, yeah, Maud, Maud not very happy with this. She says that you're just making a fool out of yourself, Maureen, going out with this without this uh, this guy. 
he's probably only after your shop as well. So um, you remember that raid that there was in the shop previous year? Yeah, There's I only do. bloody another one. This they is stole this time. People they, want pizza that corner shop. This time they stole all of the rubber, um, like ends of the shelves. So That's not things true. were scraping around on the floor, and it was setting everyone's teeth. No, on listen, edge. what happened? They only go and push Maud out of her wheelchair. Rude. It's these two teenagers come in. I think they were friends of Leanne's, um, and they they pushed her out that of her wheelchair, right. ransacks the shelves, and then obviously Maud doesn't take too well to that. Becomes frightened of being on her own, um, and then Fred and Ashley offer to help out of the shop. Maud enjoys working with Ashley. He was and, and, and sort of similar to Bill, wasn't he? And that he was just a bit soft. Bit yeah, a bit of a soft, yeah, but... nice, polite guy. If he was twenty no, years not what older, what his face was like. Huh? Bill. Um. Bill wasn't soft. Bill. Bill was just. Bill. Yeah, but he was he was a nice guy, wasn't he? He was nicer than Reg. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so they have a nice little. A working relationship for a couple of years um, Ashley and, and Maud do and um, she enjoys working with him but when Fred and Maureen announce mm. that they're now engaged she reacts to the news by soaking her future son-in-law with a fire hydrant and telling Maureen she's making a laughing stock of herself all over again and Fred's like no I, I, prom- I promise you Maud my intentions are honest I'm not going to put you in a home. Poor Maud. She's just so hearing the before. same thing again. So this this pompous buffoon dates her daughter, says, I won't put you in a home, I won't put you in a home. The, the story of Maud is just like being avoiding... Being threatened. Yeah, threatened with being put in a home, which is just terrifying for somebody, like we said, who's lost her independence in a way because of being in this wheelchair well, hang on. just to be clear being in a home is not the worst thing that could happen to you no but as somebody who's some such a strong character terrible. as her i know but there are some homes like that are really home. nice but you have to have a lot of money yeah yeah um so anyway fred and maureen get married but fred kel surprise says i'm not having maud living with us he he buys number four what um dick I know. He buys number four. He like after the wedding reception. I think they're having the Rovers. He um he leads Maureen out across the street and says, "I bought this house for us, not not for your mum though." And Maud puts on a brave face, makes arrangements to move into Mayfield Court, which is the um the old people's home that was um the, a few of the residents of Percy and Phyllis both ended up in there as well. Um, she and Maureen fall out over this. Maureen tells her, "Well, you know what, Mum, should have moved away years ago." Giving myself some freedom. Um, so, <laughs> I, I know. Harsh, isn't it? Dead harsh. So, on the day... Oh, so, sadly, mm. for, for Maureen, although she's married Fred, she doesn't really love him, does she? He's he's just not the guy for her, and he thinks too much of himself, and he's too randy and everything. <laughs> and she kind of felt that she railroaded herself into marrying him basically and on the day that she takes Maud to Mayfield Court to move in she kind of breaks down and is like I I can't stand I can't stand the guy and Maureen's like right well you take a chance my girl you go with Bill because Bill Webster at the time was just about to move over to Germany you go off with him he's the right man for you and in a really quite joyous and triumphant scene yet heartbreaking for Fred Maureen gets in Bill's taxi Joys off to Germany with him, and that's almost the last we see of her again, apart from one time when she comes back for a Christmas special. Yeah. Fred Elliott, after this, John Savadant did, he was absolutely superb because he had been made out to be 
very pompous and very well, controlling and everything. But he just kind of he brought the the tragedy that came with his new bride deserting him, and he was like in the dark at home, puffing away on cigarettes and everything, and felt so so sorry for him at the same time as feeling he didn't really treat her very well. What were you gonna say? Well, it, the people always act like he's such a buffoon that he has no self-awareness mm. but he can still f- have emotion he really could i mean he was fred elliott was a, a true romantic wasn't he I and mean, he was the one that proposed to all these women and it's not fair. and they all and they all said no to him and I so know. when he's finally managed to bag himself maureen and then she deserts him after like a week of marriage or two weeks i can't remember one of my no least wonder. liked like... um sort of fictional tropes is this sort of the guy who completely lacks self-awareness, who's a big buffoon and everyone laughs at him, who, like, bags a girl, but then at the very end, she, like, changes her mind and runs off with the true hero of the piece. Mm. And we're supposed to, like, just forget this man is a human being who is going to be yeah. devastated. And I guess, in a way, it's good that Corey sort of went, you know, he is an idiot, but he's also really sad. Yeah. And he was a popular character as well, despite his uh, despite his foibles. Anyway, uh, Maud's the one that has to break the news to Fred that his uh, that. That, that Maureen has left him, and then um, she feels guilty about encouraging Maureen away because he has a bit of a breakdown. Like yeah. I said, um, Maud after this really struggles on her own, and it's really sad that this mother daughter relationship we never got to see any of the two of them again. I found it fascinating rewatching this on ITV three that. Out of Reg and Maureen and Maud, Maud was the one that kind of kept on going for another couple of years. Yeah, she was funny, out, out of the trio. And she's absolutely, like I said at the beginning, the most forgettable of the characters. She's the one that stayed the course longer than any of them. Um, but anyway, she she struggles in the shop and Fred initially is like, well, I'm, I'm, not helping, I'm not helping you with the shop after you encourage Maureen to go off with Bill. Um, but and I'm not I'm not buying it out. You kind of sort out your own problems. And Ashley, you're not working with there as well. But he then says, "Well, I'm gonna get the shop, but I'm gonna be a little bit devious in getting it." So we we meet this potential buyer, Joe Dillon, who comes into the shop as I look around it and says, "Right, fifty thousand pounds for the shop." Now she'd wanted sixty five thousand pounds for it, so she's obviously not very happy with this low balled offer. Fred then comes in and says, "Oh, how about sixty two thousand pounds? I'll take it off your hands." And Maud's like, "Oh, still not quite the sixty five thousand pounds I wanted, but I guess so if that's the best you can do." Then she discovers that Fred and Joe are actually in cahoots and they've been colluding together. That's the, the, the classic. Right, you go in and offer a low, I'll go in and offer a bit higher, but lower than they want. And so he, he completely tricked her and get in the shop of her. And Fred was, Fred was a real arse sometimes, wasn't he? As beloved a character as he was. But um, Maud was the one that got the last laugh in this situation because on her final day in the shop, um, when Fred's having it all... She did a poo right in the middle Well, of the almost, shop. almost, she drops a fish down by down inside the counter because it's got work going on <laughs> and then for a couple of weeks the whole corner shop stinks out and Fred can't work out where it's coming from and none of the customers want to come in and everything so um yeah she she ends up having a good chuckle about that and um then by the end of the year Ashley Fredson appointed manager of it and he immediately rehires Maud because he feels a bit sorry for the way that his dad's treated her that's what I would do in 1998. <laughs> what are you 
excellent. Didn't you have any com- comment about that? Whatever. Nothing to say. Just happened. In 98, um, Maud offers support to Fred and Ashley when they fall out because Ashley checked out with Zoe and they didn't like it. We're starting to wind down a little bit with Maud now. She's, she's had her best stories, but... There is an amazing, amazing best ever Maud scene that happens in 1998, isn't there? Yeah, there is. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't want to try that. Tell me about it, Gemma. I just... <laughs> you know the scene that I'm I talking do. about. I do, I mentioned it earlier. I brought it up earlier. This well, is my idea. Go on, then. This is my idea, all of this. <laughs> right, <laughs> after Jim. You didn't just see these notes for the first time five minutes before we started recording, did you? No. I didn't even look then, to be honest. <laughs> I went out and made you a cup of tea. I know, I told said, you. said, read the notes before we record, Gemma, yep. so it sounds like you know what you're talking and about. And I said I did, didn't I? <laughs> did you not? No, I didn't. <gasps> I never I knew believe I'd anything that you say again. I knew you better wing it. <laughs> Flawless, but no, nobody's noticed. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jim, right. Let's see with Jim. Listen, there. Jim falls off the the scaffolding, having a fight with with Steve, doesn't he? Yeah, and he becomes wheelchair bound. Um, and Maud is is trying to have a friendly chat with him about it. She's like. Do you know, in, in some Kellogg's packets, you can get little things you can put on the spokes of your wheelchair. <laughs> and you can also get those reflective things that go on there too. Tony the Tiger yeah. is on mine. He doesn't want to hear this. He he tells her, he snaps at her. He He's kind of, you know, thinking it's all well and good for you. You're an old woman. Here I am in the prime of my life, a man in, in a wheelchair... Jim he, he takes. Didn't, he didn't handle this well at all. He no, I mean, no, nobody wants to be wheelchair bound, do they? But Jim was such a proud man and somebody who pr- prided himself on being a hard man, you know, ex military and everything, never had to rely on anybody for anything. And suddenly he's he's in a wheelchair and in his eyes, you know, a cripple who is, you know, good for nothing. And he, he really goes down into the pits of despair here. He's not coping very well. No. He's not strong enough. No. A few weeks later, she's concerned. She sees him wheeling himself into the road, trying to get run over by Mike in the car. Mm. So she goes around his house the next day and she gives him a pep talk. And this is what you're talking about. This was like, this, this is scene. one of the best, in my eyes, one of the best Coronation Street scenes ever. Just the characters having a chat. Now, I do like a good stunt and everything, but for two characters sitting down and just talking, this is really up there for me. I watched it again over the weekend. It's amazing. Yeah, so she's, you know, it takes a lot of bravery to to live in a wheelchair. And you should be grateful that you're alive. You know, every day you're alive. You could have died. You could have fought, fallen off on your head. Yeah, think it was like think about all the guys who you fought alongside. Yeah, they true. didn't all survive, did they? It it could it could be so much worse. And just over the court, it's only like a, you know a three four minute scene maybe. She kind of touches, she sort of sparks something inside him, and she says, "Oh, which which um." You know who were you fight? Which which regiment were you in? And he kind of snarls at her. He's so so bitter and and yeah. vile towards her. Mm-hmm. And he's like just saying, "You get out, you crazy old bat! Go away! I don't want to talk to you." And she carries on. She's like really calm. And she's also kind of saying, "Oh well, you know, you wanted to kill yourself. You should have asked me for help next time. If you feel like killing yourself, killing yourself again, you come to me, and we'll make sure you do it properly." Eh? She's like totally calling his bluff about it and really, really winding him up. Well, she's kind but... of like sh- trying to shake him out of this 
self-indulgent misery yeah. that he's got himself into. Yeah, she's saying you will do it again, won't you? You will, you will kill yourself, and and he, he's like, yeah, yeah, I will, I will, but I'll he, do it again. He he knows that. It, well, he, he, he gets can't... through to her. It gets through to him. Yeah, and he real she re- he realizes that she's right, and he has a change of attitude, and he sort of tries to readjust his um his his attitude. Yeah, and so he goes into the shop um the, in the next episode to thank it, thank her helping him to sort of be more i don't know optimistic grateful just he, accepting he really has a bit of a scrooge on christmas day kind of scene in the next he one he kind of wheels herself into wheels himself into the shop and he's all what cheery and everything <laughs> it's just it's really lovely and uh I, I spoke when i interviewed charlie lawson on the podcast a few years ago we spoke about this scene and he also Hells, that scene is like one of one of the best that he's done. Well, it's done. a really good um, character study, isn't it? Of mm. of a man who's always had power. I mean, he, you know, he he used to beat Liz, yeah, because he was the powerful. He had the physicality. He was strong, mm. and then to be reduced to somebody that relies on other people, mm. it, it he found it very difficult. But Maud helped him to understand. Yeah, that there were you know there were still things, and also he he wasn't gonna necessarily be stuck in his wheelchair for the rest of his life. So no, but back at the time it he was like know. He I, know, I yeah. could be. Well, he goes into the shop the next episode and says thank you for mm. giving me a new outlook, and then a few months later, she's the one he shows that he can now walk with crutches. Yes. So I think I it, I didn't like some parts of that story at the time because. Um, Liz was having it off with his um, physiotherapist, also called Michael. Those physiotherapists I, I, on, on, in Weatherfield are a bunch of ranty buggers, aren't they? Michael, Jenna. Fiddling about all the time <laughs> with people. Um, and, and I didn't like that aspect of it because I didn't like the idea that Liz would be cheating on him. But re-watching it again, it just had some brilliant scenes where he's there learning to walk with his crutches and then there's this one heartbreaking scene where he's like got a bunch of roses and he's yeah, he, he kind of b- walks in into number uh into number 11 and then finds liz and michael at it on the sofa and he's just he's livid and he kind of collapses down onto the ground and everything. he he was so so good in this and but we're, we're not here to talk about jen just just about maud and, uh, and that, that's kind of it for, for 1998. She's much more of a background character after that. There's like the um, the cult story, the cult of Nirab stories going on and she's involved slightly through like the Ashley connection and everything. But yeah, background character in 1998. And then uh, we finally reach her final year on the show, 1999, where Fred introduces more to his new assistant, Nita, Nita Desai, who really annoys... Nita is like really dull. Isn't she She's not a proper boring character? She annoys Maud by being very bossy, and Maud's suspicions are raised when Nita starts quizzing her about things like stock control and prices and the sort of things that just the normal shop girl wouldn't normally be interested in knowing about. It turns out that Nita is actually a mole, a spy who's been put in there by her dad, Ravi, who wants to um, buy the shop and is kind of looking for ways to. You know what? What's a good price to go for and everything? How can I? How can I wangle this so I can get the shot for myself? Um, Maud decides to leave the shop, um, and as a final act of defiance to Fred, when he refuses to offer her any redundancy pay, she lets Ravi know that Red 
Fred tricked him into offering higher than the shot was worth. So <laughs> once again, she drops a bomb and then wheels off into the sunset. Um, there's 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 a few nice scenes later on in the year where Ashley finds out that Fred. Oh yeah, because before this, Ashley thought that he was Fred's um, ne- uh, nephew, didn't he? But yeah. in '99, it turns out he's actually his dad, and <laughs> and and Maud is very supportive there and it. everything. What a <laughs> um, she also becomes very close to um, fellow Mayfield Court resident Sydney Templeton, whose wife has recently died. Yes, and Maud's like right. We're old. She's like, let's get married. She's like, you need to just deal with it and accept. Deal that with it, marry this me. This is your reality now, just like Jim McDonald did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it would, they decide they're gonna like get married in the next week. These That's old people, they really move fast. Gross. Yeah. So Fred worries. The prenup. Fred worries that Maud is going senile, <laughs> and suspects his Sydney of trying to get his hands on her cash. So he and Ashley take him out on a, on a little car drive to like I try and interrogate this. him about what are your intentions towards Maud, and then he dies on the back seat. And um, that's why he was trying to move so quickly. Yeah, exactly. He didn't have long left. So Fred and Ashley are got to be driving around with this corpse. Um, oh, sorry, not Ashley. Audrey, I mean. Yeah. Um, Fred and Audrey have to drive around with this corpse in the back and there's like a scene where police stop them to just torture them through the window and they're like pretending that he's, he's passed out in the back or something. And then they get... They get, they get he's I mean, just this drunk. Is, you know, so that time a few months ago when Audrey was carting dead um, Teddy on the roof box, it's not the first time she's driven about with a she, dead body in the car. get a job with George. Yeah, she should. Well, she, she did work for... Um, uh, Archie for a bit didn't she when she was doing the makeup on the corpses oh, yeah. uh, anyway so they turn back up at the um, Mayfield court and the, the, their plan is to kind of like take him in and make it look like he died there but sadly they bump into Maud as they arrive and they have to break the news to her the news to her obviously she's devastated by this but she's actually grateful to them for trying to interfere on her behalf and like the fact that they they were interested in finding out is this guy's intentions genuine or not so um then we have kind of Maud's exit storyline in a way she discovers that she's been left ten thousand pounds in sydney's will his kids turn up a few weeks later right so his wife when's his wife just died and he's already written a will for somebody else yeah well, you know, she's gonna. They're getting married. He moves quickly, does Sydney? Sydney's got no time for Quick waiting. Sydney, that's about. what they call him. Um, anyway, his kids turn up, mega angry at, at Maud, and, and they've had similar stories like this, like with Rita in the past as well, saying, "Look, we've been left next to nothing, and you've only just met my dad, and you're getting ten grand off of him." And Maud's like, "Okay, fair enough. You you can have the money." But then she discovers that Sydney was actually worth about sixty thousand pounds. The kids have got the the rest of it, the fifty thousand pounds worth, and they're just being greedy and want this ten thousand pounds. So she says, "Right, I'm no, going to use. It. I'm going to take the money. I'm going to use it to go off to the far east. So I can scatter his ashes on the site of the bridge over the River Kwai, where some of his um, comrades uh, died during uh, World War Two. And uh, she and Emily go off there." And then come back, and they, and that's kind of it for Maud. She has a couple of scenes there. Um, they're they're uh, just being a, a kind of a bit of a background character. Her final final scene on Coronation Street is sitting outside the Rovers, having a chat with was it Janice and Les, I think, and she just doesn't appear again. So that's the end of Maud. I don't know whether I'd have preferred 
you know, it could have gone like, oh, she decided to stay over there or something. Why didn't they just, if they wanted to get rid of her, why didn't they just say, oh, she, yeah, she, he, he left her all the money and she's going to live in... It feels like there could have been other options. So I wonder whether her leaving was a bit of a last minute decision or whether, I don't know whether she had any um, any reasons why she had to just stop working. But yeah, yeah she, she had, it, it's similar to... There's usually to, some kind of good reason, although yeah. sometimes there isn't. <laughs> well, it's particularly with some of the older characters. I mean, Phyllis Pierce was another one who didn't get an on-screen exit. She just stopped appearing and then, you know, what happened to her... Um, Percy had quite a quick on-screen exit. Um, so anyway, that that was it for Maud. And even though Maureen did come back, like I said, in uh, Christmas 2006, Maud didn't get a mention. So who knows what happened to her? You never. She could still be alive today. What did, what year was she born in, did it say? 1st of April 1922. She could be a sprightly 101-year-old now. Why not? Why, why I've not? heard of older people. Yeah, yeah. But sadly, even if that was the case, we could not be seeing Maud... Um, rolling down those cobbles any time again because sadly um, Liz Bradley died in October 2000 so um, a year or so after making a final appearance on Coronation Street the actress died she was on holiday with her son in the south of France had a stroke and um, died in the Princess Grace Hospital in Monaco dying on holiday I mean it's not nice for everyone else but it's pretty good I would hope that yeah I way mean... to go isn't it it's like right I've had, I've had enough do you know what I can't even bother to pack yeah, good point. Get out of that, <laughs> don't you? So uh, um, um, on on her death, Sherry Hewson, who played Maureen, said, oh, we were so close, like mother and daughter. I spoke to her only a couple of weeks ago and she was so full of life and plans for the oh. future. So that's kind, of, that's kind of sad. And Ken Morley, who was Reg, said, um, she was a lovely lady and great fun to work with. On screen, our characters couldn't stand the sight <laughs> of each other, but off screen, I loved her dearly. So that was it for Maud. Um, well, I just absolutely that, fantastic yeah. character. Great, great character. I just, it sounds like she was a great person to work with. Had an interesting life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, it's it. What one of Corrie's great mysteries that she's forgotten. I think we partly in the mid mid to late nineties there were it was a real kind of gold period, wasn't there? And and every other character almost was a stone cold classic. And maybe if you get a character that doesn't quite live up to that or fit onto that or is just a bit of a background character, you get forgotten about a little bit. Even though if you'd have had a character like Maud in it nowadays, I think she'd be a lot of people's favourites. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. Um, she, the actress um, said about when she was got for the job, she said, I always watched Coronation Street before I joined the show and I loved it. When I was offered the role of Reggie's mother-in-law, I was fascinated and it turned out to be just as wonderful as I expected because Ken Morley is lovely to work with and so is Sherry, who plays Maureen. <laughs> she said people can relate to the character because they have aunts or grandmothers who are like her. Maybe they are... Listen, hang on a minute, love. Maybe they are like her <laughs> themselves. Maybe they, they are the aunt. Maybe, maybe. Maybe they are the grandmother. <laughs> she's really cantankerous and she's got into her second childhood so she's petulant like a child <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy with her though because I think she was a real goer in her time <laughs> that's probably why she gets so cross with Maureen she thinks she's a bit wet 
and she has tried to light Reg, but she really reckons he's beyond the pale. Maud feels frustrated because she has been trapped for so long in her wheelchair, so now she's working in the shop and getting a bit more freedom, and she's behaving quite badly. <laughs> she did have that uh, mischievous twinkle in her eye, didn't she? I think she likes grinding re- like, Fred and Reg. When you and, get older, you just realise it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I, I think it doesn't it's... matter. Just do what you like. She, she, it was like I said, just to the people who she felt deserved her, um, uh, her, her ire for being idiots, and and mostly if it was, she's like, if you're nice to, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Whereas I think with characters like Evelyn, I think Evelyn plays it for laughs a little bit more. I wouldn't necessarily say that Maud was a no. comedic character. No. In fact, I would. It, she so in a way she's maybe closer to Ina. Because yeah, I don't I think he, I think Ina was written very, very straight, and she had some really brilliant, witty one-liners and and, and f- funny lines. But that was a that was a straight Ina, character. Yeah, I think that Ina was. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, you're right. I don't have anything but else you, to say. But yeah, Blanche, um, more, uh, Evelyn. Uh, they're they're all, I guess, comedy characters first, aren't they? Uh, I, I suppose Maud is, uh, is similar to say Sylvia Goodwin as well, mm. but but Sylvia was just not not much to her really, I was it? Kind so. of looking back on her, um, I and I think I just think it was it was cool that they had this character. I think it was really important that she was in the wheelchair because that tied into what Liz was saying about feeling like she's she's trapped and um, frustrated and not being able to do exactly what she wants to but I, I i guess at the time it wasn't sort of it wasn't an issue story no um and it and it also wasn't a kind of hey look at us we've got a we've got a disabled character in our program where which they cory might want to tout now it was just she was in a wheelchair and that was that and i think that was quite refreshing that it wasn't a big thing made out of it yet it did influence who she was as a character. Um, she, she said, um, when I was asked to play the part in the wheelchair, the only problem that I had was that I always that I was alarmed in case people thought I was sending them up. But now I discovered that people appreciate the fact that there is a disabled person in the street. Being in a wheelchair is part of that role now. Um, and I do love Maud. Oh, this was this is kind of sad, this bit. I do love Maud, but I don't want to end my days as her. The lovely thing about acting is that you can be someone else for a while and I'll carry on for as long as people want me to. I have no intention of retiring. Um, and I think that was a that was like a couple of years into playing more that she said that. And kind of sad in a way that she said, I, I don't want to end my days as her because it pretty much was her final TV role, sort of penultimate. She ap- appeared in an episode of Bad Girls, I think, um, in t- shortly before she died. But really, well, she, she said- was... If she said this before, you know, it wasn't like she said this the day that she was leaving the show. No. She didn't go off and go, right, I'm going to do this, that and the other thing. I think I, I think looking back on, on Maud, you know, you say she does not very well remembered. But when you talk when you talk about her and you look at what the character actually did, she, she managed to fit quite a lot, really, for, for a sort of background-ish character. Yeah. And a lot of her stuff was revolving around Maureen. But she still managed to fit in quite a lot and um, a really important, you know, as a visible disabled person on the street representing other people and being able to talk to, to Jim McDonald too, those two characters, mm. um, representing disabled people. Yeah. And I think she did a great job. 
and I don't think that really she would be disappointed in what she achieved. No, I don't. I don't think so. I, mean, I would uh, hope that looking actors, back, she was like, "Yeah, I made it." She was. She was in the program for like six years, and yeah, it, there are some actors who really, really want to do lots and lots of different things, and there are some actors who are happy to sort of be the face of one character or be very famous for for one thing. Um. So, and I mean, she, she and she had a great career. Mm. And and uh, and, it, and it sounds like she was very much loved by uh, people who oh, knew yeah, her and worked with her. That is really nice to hear that she had such a good relationship with the other actors that she worked closely with. Yeah, I can't believe it's taken us so long to do Maud Grimes as a character profile. To be honest, because she was, she you know she she had nearly five hundred episodes under her belt. Um, and I think it's partly because the the Coropedia page for Maud, um, there it's 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 still got a bit of work that needs doing on it, and uh, I knew that it, I had to sort of do some real deep digging to to find out exactly what the main bits of her storyline were. But I'm glad that we've done it. I enjoyed chatting about her. May well go back to not thinking about her again for a little while, but. Uh, well, I think, um, and yeah, yeah, again, great thank you to Coropedia for helping us out yes. and uh, being a great source of information. Literally anything you could ever want to know is on there. Yeah, you just got to dig around you want a bit. it uh, in audio form, in which case, come to come us. Come here, come here. <laughs> um, so that is it for Maud. Absolute stone cold classic character. I don't think we'll be if, you, um, if you're listening to this. Her. I don't. We don't probably will never, never, never need to mention her again. Oh. Got no, no links left in the program. I mean, right. I'd still quite be quite so. Definite you know, I'd, I'd still would quite like it if Maureen came back again. You know, Bill's just died recently on Coronation Street. Can, can we have Maureen back on the show just for a little cameo? And does Maud get a mention? But. There's, there's so few characters there that still remember her now. And, um, oh, she's, she's great. She's let's great. Let's tie a knot in it. Yes, let's do it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've been listening to this and uh, you have not seen any of Maud before, you're like, how on, I've never heard of this character. Who is she? Go and find the scene where she talks to Jim. Go and find the scene at the Normandy grave. Yeah, those are really Go and find her important. first appearance where she's lost her glasses. She's got she's some great. brilliant, brilliant moments. And, um, and the scene also at the wedding, too, where she overhears yeah. them talking about her. Yeah. She just, she's just awesome. So, so good. Um, Thank you very much for it. listening. Thank you, everybody. Hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you for the normal episode at the end of the week. Bye. The music for this episode came from podcastthemes.com. <laughs>